Welcome to Peak Market Watch, bringing listeners the latest news in the commercial real estate industry. Every other Wednesday, Anton Matley from Peak Financing will interview a variety of investors, brokers, syndicators, vendors, and finance experts who live and breathe commercial real estate. Whether you are a commercial real estate professional or completely new to the industry, Peak Market Watch will give you an inside look into the state of the market from experts who know it best. Let's get into the show. 100%. Welcome to today's episode of Peak Market Watch. We speak with market leaders in commercial real estate and related services who have a close pulse on the current market environment. My name is Anton Madley, co-founder and CEO of Peak Financing, and my co-host today is Abel Pacheco, one of Hello. our great uh, data advisors uh, with uh, Peak Financing. Uh, we are honored to welcome Prashan Kumar, founder and managing partner of Multifamily Realty Gains, a multifamily investment firm active in various parts of the United States, uh, including Indiana, Texas, and Georgia, where they have uh, uh, most of their activities. Uh, welcome, Prashant. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, why don't you give us a brief background about you as well as Multifamily Realty Gains? So I, I come from India, right? You guys can figure it out. I came here in 98 with $50 in my pocket. And I worked my way up in the corporate environment all my life, you know, uh, you know, and you guys know, Abel knows it very well. Uh, you know, how corporate environment is, you get 3% raise and you are happy, you know, every year. And you don't know that, you know, you are losing money actually at 3% because the inflation is typically more than that. So long story short you know five years ago i thought guys you know i have to build something which can work for me while i'm not working you know till now it was all trading time you know you you work you get paid you don't work you don't get paid uh, but at some point you know you know as as life catches on you you start taking a step back and think about what is that do you really want to do in your life i mean is that what you want to continue to do all your life so that brings me to real estate, you know. I said I have to do something so that I can have some cash flow that even if I'm not working, you know. So like everybody else, you know, I started in single families, bought a bunch of single families, then it went into multifamily, bought a bunch of multifamily myself. And then I realized I don't have money, more enough money to buy more. So, uh, you know, long story short, within one year, I bought three single families. I bought 24 units family and then I jumped into syndication and the first syndication that we did and of course I came in as GP capacity considerable GP capacity on the project 458 units so it was it was a journey in the first year where you know I learned a lot I you know gave myself I put myself into the projects you know with whomsoever and uh, you know I ended up learning and, and creating a space for me. And that's when I founded My Realty Gains. I said, I have to have my own brand name. And I mean, my real purpose is not just making money for myself. Uh, I come from a very humble background where my grandparents used to live with us all life. You know, I spent a bunch of time helping others to gain peace. You know, I spent a considerable amount of time, um, you know, helping folks to learn. I mean, I teach meditation free of cost. Uh, and, and similarly, you know, I have I have passion to help uh, you know older gen older generation. So I I wanted to dabble into uh, dabble into assisted living space, which we did a couple of years ago. 
two years ago, one year ago, actually, to be precise. And we are exploring that space also. But it's not about just making money for myself. It's that's not the real thing. The real thing is much deeper. Uh, we are, you know, we help, you know, community. We help even people like us, you know, who don't have time uh, to be able to uh, make their money work for them, even if they are not, you know, actively involved in the real estate transactions. So the goal is to continue to acquire some assets, help the community at the same time, helping the investors who can who can make money while they don't while they don't need to pay that much attention uh, onto the asset and get all the benefits of real estate investing. You know, pride of ownership of real estate um, and may reduce the taxes also. So the, the, those kind of things. That's the real purpose. And you know, the goal here in this communication is to share the knowledge with whatever we have with, you know, very humbly with, with the listeners. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, great to hear, right? Uh, obviously, as you said, it's not always about making money, but uh, you need money in order to help others, right? So yep. uh, obviously, as, as always, uh, it's, it's important to, to invest and it's important to make money and it's important to have cash flow. Uh, because if that is not there, you don't have time to help, right? And that's so, so that's the ideal environment where you, uh, where you can balance both the investing as well as the, the helping part, right? And that's, uh, that's a, it's very important. And I would certainly say solely also in, in a space that uh, a lot of uh, syndicators, including you invest in, which is more the workforce housing, right? Uh, very often you have the ability to improve the lives even of the tenants. Yes, you make money, right? To improve a property, you make it crime-free, right? You make it a safe place. Yep. And yes, you can raise rents and yes, you make more money. But at the same time, you also give a safe space for, for your tenants, right? So, so yeah, it's you, a win-win situation. You said it very right, Anton. I mean, and you, you guys know it, how, what we do it, what we do. I mean, the goal is to you know, provide a cleaner environment. You know, you have, you have crime in the property. You, you have poor, poor uh, you know, living condition. We get in, we clean up the place, you know. Uh, you know, we, we put the right kind of lightings, you know, so that, places bright and inviting you know it's not not any any more gloomy uh you know you 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 put in right right you know uh, you do the rehab of the property basically you clean up you know good bathrooms good kitchens you know nice clean carpet or you know vinyl plank uh you know so you, we do all that you know and, and that gives better place for folks to live and yeah. and, and we put processes in place so that uh, you know, they don't have to come to our offices, you know, they, they do the e-pay and, you know, all those delivery mechanisms, we use technology to reduce our expenses also. So Very good. Know, yeah. yeah, these are all great things, right? So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what, what challenges you currently face, right? You have, you're obviously with larger properties, you're a syndicator on one hand, but you also own a, uh, your own property, right? That is not a syndicated deal. That is smaller, right? In yeah. in Indiana, which is outside of your uh, 
home residence, right? You live in on Long Island in New York, and you have your own property that you own outright in uh, uh, not syndicated in Indiana, and then you also obviously have syndicated a lot of the larger properties. So, what are the challenges that you face with with both of these types of properties right now, and how do you how do you address those? See, one one thing. Um... One thing we have to realize that when we are out of state owners, it is very important for us to find the right partner or the right property manager to manage our assets. That's the, the key of the project. And when you find a property manager, you have to consider that, that company as your partner in the deal rather than considering them only a fee-based employee or contract employee. The moment you have that, the moment you just consider somebody just a fee-based employee, you know, you are going to get only what they are going to give it to you. But the moment you start considering them as a partner. So, I mean, I, I kind of gave you the solution of what challenges I had, but the challenges are always there. That's the biggest challenge, you know, who's going to manage the property for you, right? Whether it is a bigger 500-unit apartment complex or a smaller 72-unit apartment complex, right? So the... So the boots on the ground has to have the vested interest. Otherwise, you are like, uh, you know, when cat is not there, cat is not around mice play. So, so basically you are not there and you are talking to them on a daily basis. They are telling you what they are telling you. Numbers are not, but at the end of the time, I mean, the end of the quarter, your numbers don't lie, right? So, uh, so that, that's the challenge. I mean, they say, they tell you something else and they do something else. Uh, but the moment you start putting incentive-based um, compensation plan where they feel that they are being, uh, they are being, uh, you know, they are earning a little bit more for their effort or they feel that there's a growth in their career. You know, you go from one property to another property and you still bring them on with you all the challenges will be gone. I mean, would it be wise for me to go to my properties, one property to another property every week? I mean, I don't, it's just not technically, I mean, it's not logistically possible. So the folks who are there, they have to replicate what you would like them to do. And that's it. That's the real chat. I mean, all the hurdles will be solved right there. Everything else kind of small things, you know, talking to the city, you know, having the right GC coming in and doing the work or getting the work done. Uh, those are just small things because you have taken care of the fundamental root problem. I mean, of course, the guy has to be competent, right? I mean, your property manager, uh, somebody who has not done any real estate and you put them as a property manager is not going to work out. So the guy has to be competent, but you have to take their buy-in. You know, once you have that buy-in at the, at the root level, then you are gold. I mean, then all these issues that we have had and we have heard it all the time, GC not delivering what they have to had to deliver, property manager not doing the lease up is taking longer time. They are not motivated enough. They are not able to hire the right people. I mean, tell me, these are there are 100,000 things that can go wrong. But if you have the right resource with the right attitude, your life can become easier and and the moment you start treating them as your partner in the crime, uh, they start working with you, even if you have to spend a few bucks more, even if you have to have lesser 
part of the pie. Uh, you know, it just works. I mean, for me, it works very well. I mean, my Indiana, Indiana property, you know, I don't even, I don't lift my finger from here to here in a month. I spend three to five minutes at most. That's it. But I pay the guy more than what he deserved. I say yeah. I, I pay him more than what he deserved. And he's happy for that, right? I mean, I don't even question him. You know, I know that, you know, there might be some DK. I mean, just, I shouldn't even say that. Uh, I don't, I just close my eyes. I said, listen, you do what you have to do as long as my numbers, my meet, my numbers are meeting. That's all I care. And he, he's happy and, and, and I can sleep in the night, basically. Otherwise, you know, you talk about single family home and, you know, your tenant is screwing up your home and you are running there, you know, going, you know, in the middle of night going there. So, I mean, you get the idea. What I'm saying is challenges will always be there, whether it is single family or a smaller multifamily or a big multifamily. Yeah. The kind of resource that you put there is your, you are the owner. You have to put the right resource, number one. And number two, you have to create those resources correctly. Uh, you have yeah. to pay them. You have to pay them. You have to motivate them. You have to take care of them. You know, there are times when they are sick, go. Do not even, don't even come bother about the property. When they know that there's a person talking to them on phone, not just a businessman, okay, what is going on? What is going on? Um, then then you, you build that relationship. So, yeah. I, I hear, uh, this is awesome. I hear a lot of good points, uh, Prashant, because you know, when you pick a good property manager, like you said, or good boots on the ground in various different markets, uh, treating them well, and obviously they're going to you know, treat your tenants and your building your property, all investors well, right? And and being market watch, right? I heard Texas, Indiana, I know you're in, in the Northeast. And so you, that, that's part of, of the market watch. You have to know what's going on in one market versus another, right? Uh, so what, what are some of the biggest differences you see in like the Texas market versus your other markets that, that you're in? See, see, right now, everything is overpriced. You know it, and I know it very well. Right now, everything is overpriced. I got two properties yesterday night, um, both in tertiary market, and one, one had 11 offers today morning. I mean, I cannot compete with that, you know. <laughs> I'm talking about uh, Midwest. Similarly, one in Northeast in a smaller property, uh, the guy says he's going to meet, meet what he's asking. So overall, the market is high. Overall, market is high. Uh, and I mean, if you have the capacity to take on the difficult projects, then maybe you can survive. But if you are just, you know, uh, you know very simple, uh, non you know, not too much of, you don't want to take a project where you have heavy lift, that's when you will have trouble, you know, because there are a lot of people who want to get into those projects and you will, you will end up uh, paying more than what it, what it is worth. And I would be very careful. I mean, I don't know where the market is. I don't have a crystal ball. You know it more than me. Um, cap rates, you know, right now people, people are trading at 3.5 cap rate. I, I don't know how can they make money if, they, if the cost of the money is three point more than three point five. It's so, it's nutty. It's a nutty. And and you know Anton shares this with us on a daily basis. Where the ten year treasury, you know Anton, where's the ten year treasury uh, at this current you know time? You know yes, uh, right today it uh, it breached the one fifty mark. Right. So the the funny story there is right. I'm. Uh, 
one of the preferred uh, uh, partners for the real estate guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they, they do every year at the beginning of the year, they do a 2021 forecast for this year and obviously the previous years. Uh, so Robert Helms uh, naturally asked for, for input from all the experts he has uh, within in his network, what they think about their particular space. And uh, I went on a limb and said, I think uh, we will see uh, 150 treasury rates uh, this year. Uh, I actually said that I'm, I think we will see a 2% plus, uh, but the 150 I was really confident about, but I was not really confident about that it would happen just within a month after I said it, right? So yeah. the reality is it can, the market can move very quickly. And uh, it, it remains to be seen where the cap rates ultimately, how much they are being impacted, right? Because the argument still is even with the treasury yield moving up, uh, the delta, the spread between the 10 year treasury and the cap rates is still relatively historically relatively big. So there is a lot of, ar- there are a lot of arguments out there that uh, the market can support it. Uh, but to your point, uh, uh, Prashant, certainly we see so many deals that are the going in cap rate in for C-class properties are now with a soft value add, right? So not a true value add property where the cap rates come in, as you mentioned, in the three and a half to 4% range. And you essentially pay for a stabilized property for a C-class, three and a half to four percent, because you have that slight upside with uh, spending three to five thousand dollars in rehab, hoping that you can push your rents another seventy-five or hundred dollars. Right. So there is a lot of uh, hope in in all of that. And obviously, when you when you buy it at three and a half to 4% and your borrowing costs are essentially at the same or very similar level, you need to come up with pretty creative rent growth numbers to make that all work, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the real point, right? Cap rate versus your uh, cost of the money. Yeah, I mean, if, it, if the cost of money is equivalent to cap rate, then, then you are not really making any money on the property. So you are all your return is based on based on the value addition and and the rent growth uh, uh, and you have to be confident that that rent growth is going to drive your cap rate uh, keep the cap rate where it is right now i mean if the cap rate starts decompressing even that rent growth is not going to give you anything right i mean if the market becomes softer cap rate starts becoming a little bit higher um, you know you, you're done i mean so I mean, to, to me, it's a very scary market. You know, I don't have the crystal ball, as I said. Um, you know, just just do what you can do very carefully because it is very easy to lose the shirt. You know, we are talking about millions of dollars. You know, it's not one single family home where you make a mistake, you can survive. If you have a $10 million property and 1% cap rate, uh, you know, is a million dollar, you know. So uh, you're going to, you know, it's a difficult market. Let's just put it this way. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a very good point. And on top of it, right, uh, when you are syndicating the deal, then you put also your investors' money at risk, right? Uh, to be frank, I see a lot of syndicators that still do these deals because they have very little skin in the game, right? Yes, they charge an acquisition fee 
and then put that fee into the deal, claiming that they have skin in the game. But ultimately, it's just uh, taking some money that you receive and put it into the deal. That's not really skin, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously, the upside for a sponsor is, uh, is very significant, whereas the downside is relatively limited at the same time for the sponsor, right? Yeah. So I think there... Uh, really the ethical element comes in whether you as a sponsor really believe that this deal can work or whether you just hope for the best right yeah, i think most of most of the time these whatever these people are doing the deals they're just hoping for the best yeah. they're hoping that the market is can will continue to grow the way it is growing and you and i know it very very clearly that's not i mean if it is growing it has to come down someday right whenever it is i mean Maybe, maybe, maybe six months, maybe a year, maybe two years. But point is, are you able to catch your returns in, within that time frame or not? If, if the moment it starts going down, you're not able to catch those returns, you're just waiting for the next upside, which will happen probably after four or five years, if at all. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little conservative, guys. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but, I, you know, that, that's all I'm saying, you know, be, Look at what yeah. you are buying, you know, there is a, if there is a way you can create value, whether it is ground up development or you know that this property is messed up, you have huge advantage, you can create huge, huge value here um, or the management inefficiency, you know, somebody is retiring or somebody is giving you the property for free. That doesn't happen, of course. Uh, then you know, you get into the project. Uh, I mean, there are good people out there who can do a good job. Um, and, and that's why we are surviving. We are also looking to buy more. It's not that we are not looking. We are just, we are, we are treading our waters carefully. Mm -hmm. You have to turn over a lot of rocks, to keep turning over a lot of rocks and, you know, to add to the market side of it. Uh, yes, 2021 brings with you an additional challenge, additional hurdle. Find is many rocks to turn over as you can to find, you know, your pearl, right? So that is correct. Yeah, that is correct. Just, just hard work. I mean, yeah. so, and the second thing is, I mean, if you are in a value add multifamily space, I mean, if that's not the space, which is giving you the value, you have to adapt to the change also. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, the goal is for you to create value. Do you want, if you are not able to create value in one space, you have to adapt to the market condition and see where else can you create that value, which others cannot create. Uh, I mean, there, there are things like, you know, ground up. I mean, if you, if you find a good piece of land, you know, get in touch with a, with a developer and, and maybe build something. You know, you are, you are creating value. You, you can do value addition in, in many, many ways, basically, you know, ground up multifamily, ground up assisted living, ground up storage, ground up, I don't know whether anything called mobile home park ground up because they are, they are hardly anything. But the point is, you can do, wherever you can create value, you have to be creative, basically. Don't, don't get stuck into what you have been doing in the last couple of years and the market is changing and you want to stuck, remain stuck in the same space. Uh, maybe maybe we'll have to find uh, a different niche again, um, you know, as the as the market condition uh, warrants it. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point, right? Uh, you mentioned mobile home park ground up. Uh, I know some that are 
doing it or attempting it, it's it's not that easy, right? Because the, the value creation in developing a mobile home park is pretty limited, right? So you do not create yeah. any vertical structure. You essentially create the paths. Yeah. Uh, uh, and the, if it's in within city limits, it's pretty hard to even get that approved within oh, any yeah. city. So you have That's to true. go into the countryside and okay. then you need to balance again. This is the investment you do really uh, turning into a positive cash flow at some point at, at some point right yeah, so yeah, cities are not allowed mobile home parks at all i mean th that's the biggest challenge i mean they don't i don't know for what for what what is the reason but the fundamental fact is you cannot do ground out development for mobile home parks i mean the only thing you can do is uh, you can buy and then you can improve the rents and you know improve clean up the park um, but Creating a new one, as you said, Anton, is is very 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 difficult right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now I think another challenge you have, and we we just had uh, uh, Brian Murray uh, on uh, as a guest for for the multifamily master uh, meetup uh, in in Texas uh, maybe a week ago or so, and he talked about his uh, his success there, and he actually has partnered up with with Brent Turner from Bigger Pockets, right? So they are really have. Uh, have created a big space for investment space for for mobile home parks mm -hmm. attempting to uh, to compete with the big boys in that space there are not that many big players and then you have all the mom and pop players right that are out there and obviously they have been very successful in buying up a lot of these mobile home parks but at the same time he also said the challenge is it's it's a very limited space once you buy up these parks it's not a, not like a multifamily you can buy for a very long time and you still can buy more with mobile home parks the supply uh, of parks that actually meet your requirements is pretty limited right so yeah. uh, so you better be an expert in that field if you want to really scale it right? yes yeah i mean there's no new supply it's not like you know population will grow and the mobile home park number of mobile home parks will grow that is yeah. not that is not happening at all it's not like you know single family homes coming up everywhere you know in Phoenix. i mean you go you know builders are building left and right that's not going to happen in mobile home park. So you are just competing with the existing, whatever is out there, you're just competing, you know, uh, in that space, you know. So yeah, that, that's a difficult, difficult space. Then your storage, I mean, storage is a good space, you know, but again, cap rates have come down so much. I mean, so you have to find your, your niche, you know, what you want to do, what can you do? Yeah, so certainly social media has been uh, a major challenge for all all uh, all the experts in in the various segments, right? Whether it's mobile home park, whether it's self storage, e multifamily, right? There are it's so easy to learn about it, and then with all the coaches that are out there, everyone jumps on it, and yeah. now you just have uh, all all these prospective buyers that are jump on it, <laughs> that are jump on it. Yeah, yeah, information flow is so easy that right. you know, yeah. in 15 minutes you can you can have thousands of folks looking at your deal you know and everybody underwriting and next thing you know within 24 hours you know you have multiple offers on the same property you know it used yeah. to be different in you know a couple of years ago yeah, yeah. but now I mean, I, I told you yesterday night, I found a property. It came to the market yesterday night. Today morning, I called the broker. He said, I already have 11 offers. What, said, what, what market was that in? As a, it, uh, was like 
like in Louisville, uh, you know, in, in that in that area, you know, a smaller yeah. property, but uh, it just came in yesterday night, and uh, here you go. So, um, you know, what can you right. do? <laughs> so that's interesting. That's interesting, uh, Anton. The you know the social media. You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily factored that in until you said it right now, but that's the truth. That's part of the market today because we're all you know seeking uh, you know a, a great investment and and. Capital is going to seek a yield regardless of where it's at, whether it's retail or institutional or family offices. And, and in the retail space, then there are a ton of investors who are trying to figure out what to do with the stock market. I'm not just sure. And the economy, I'm not sure what's going to happen. And, you know, it's, it's the, the barriers of entry into the, you know, these types of assets are, are, you know, slowly dropping down with information share, and and now you have more buyers, potential potential buyers, and eleven offers in in Louisville. They're overnight. Yeah, yeah they're overnight. I don't know whether yeah. whether you guys have noticed in last uh, two weeks. I mean, right now it is twenty fifth of February. That's the day we are recording this this podcast. But in last two weeks, I have seen a lot of inventory coming, a lot of um, new OMs coming in my email. I mean, I'm seeing at least one or two uh, in the markets which I have been following closely, which used to be like one in a month or one in one in a week. I'm seeing one or two mm -hmm. daily. You know, uh, the email. I don't know whether that is you guys are seeing it or not. I don't know what is the phenomena. Uh, I think sellers are in hurry to sell their assets. Um, that's what it boils down to. I mean. There is, there is some wind going on somewhere and I, I'm not trying to spread the rumor in any way. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of, lot of invent, I mean, a lot of new properties, multifamily properties coming onto the market. That, yeah. So, yeah. So to, to be fair, I think uh, there are a, a, a number of factors that play into it, right? So year end and early of every year tends to be slower period, right? So uh, that is kind of normal that December and January, is a little bit slower. Now with COVID-19, everything I think just has, has come to a halt for a longer period mm -hmm. uh, where all the sellers wanted to, to figure out how the elections go, uh, how the election go through, how the vaccinations ramp up, how the eviction laws are being extended and so on. And also because uh, we certainly have seen quite a bit of stress with a lot of property owners in November and December with their collections. Mm -hmm. And I think they then realized that it was a, a weakness that could, they could recover from in, in January. And mm -hmm. actually all the brokers were already ready with their uh, OM uh, so that they just had to update the numbers. And now January and February tend to look better again. And now mm -hmm. everyone rushes to the market because now it's a perfect time to, uh, to take advantage still of the relatively low uh, borrowing cost mm -hmm. and Again, just that massive demand, right, yes. Uh, yes. of buyers yes. no. that are out there looking for deals. So if you're a seller, uh, you really f uh, have to wonder whether you just want to sell, even if you didn't plan to, because the, the, uh, you are in such a strong position as a seller. Right. No, I no, I, I kind of agree with the points that you mentioned, Anton. You know, COVID, of course, you know, kind of not slowing down, but at least you have some some news some there, you know, about the vaccine, you know, presidential election has is over, uh, you know, sellers are coming out of their comfort zone. Uh, they were sitting on their OMs and now, 
now you know january has passed so yeah i think that that is the real factor in the last two weeks what we have seen you know some inventory coming into the market yeah and uh, i'll add you know i know we're talking about commercial but you know we're, we we don't uh, operate in a vacuum right the scene in san antonio the market i saw an express news article it said house sales rose by 22% compared to the same month last year and then 68% of the houses had a higher median uh, income, uh, sorry, higher average sale price. And then um, a good number, the median price point jumped about 13%. So if you have a higher number of sales at a higher average uh, sale price, then even on the single family, they're, they're kind of experiencing the, the, the increase in property values, you know? So I'm like, wow. This is uh, San Antonio market. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's, I do not know how it is in on Long Island, but also I w- or everywhere in Texas, right? So uh, like we have a neighbor that uh, put the, the house up for, for sale. It's, it's not a, it's on the upper end from a price point perspective. And they, they delisted it and they got an offer before the, the first open house, right? And yeah. they decided, well, we still do an open house for four hours, right? Uh, they had, the whole neighborhood was filled with cars, right? So they had a time slots, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially every 10 minutes you had someone else looking at that house, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, they will, uh, I do know yet for, for what it's, it's going to trade for, but it will be significantly above the asking price. Right? Yes, 100%, 100%. You know, I have a house which I'm selling you know, my tenant left and, you know, that was trashed, house was trashed. I said, right, fix it myself and then sell it or just sell it, right? So I just put it on the market and put it the retail price, all, you know, I'll fix the price and I'm still getting an offer above the asking price. Wow. I mean, so I yeah. know, why would I fix it, you know? Yeah, that's like, right. Yeah. yeah. So let someone else have the headache. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to go there and get it fixed and, and whatnot. So Yeah, that's right. And uh, good luck finding contractors that do a good job now. That's, and, uh, yeah, they are, they are outrageous. New York, I don't know whether you guys know that New York is, I mean, to lift, to lift, to get out of the car, they charge you money, you know. So <laughs> forget about doing the work. Uh, so it's, it's like different, different world here altogether. Yeah. I had that's funny. I have got a few times, and every time me and my wife go, it feels like we, we always have cash, a little bit of cash to spend here and there. Everything feels like it's like twenty five bucks. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna get a drink and a, a coke, and you're like, "That's twenty five dollars." So you're gonna get on the on the subway, you're like, somehow it's like twenty bucks, and I'm dropping twenties everywhere, and we're just walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's yeah. costly. Yeah, that's that's uh, certainly a, an, an interesting aspect there, right? So we, we just ha- have experienced that. Obviously, uh, uh, it's uh, it's different in different places of, of the country, but we we live in uh, our, uh, in Fresco, which is outside of Dallas, right? Uh, that's really not real estate related at all, but it just shows that craziness that that we are facing. Uh, so we, uh, we are used to pay twenty dollars plus for a cocktail at the, in the in New York, right, and in Vegas and and all that. So now we are in an upscale restaurant in Frisco, 
and the the cocktails were over 20 bucks <laughs> so so that's just the, the way it is everything is just uh, increasing in price and somehow people are paying for it right it's uh uh, whether it's uh, upbrand real estate, people are gobbling it up. Whether it's multifamily, people gobbling up. Uh, everything that comes onto the market, you have buyers for it, it seems. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, people always yeah. have money. You know, yeah. did, did you see that there's a that new article? I can't remember who put it out, but it was like 22% of all the money in circulation today, US supply, was printed like in 2020 uh, this year. And it the article just shocked me i go wow that's that's a i mean that's like almost a quarter that's a big big chunk of our circulate money that's around right now that's why that's why you have so much uh, inflation higher inflation right i mean in last one year you know cost of living has gone up uh, for that matter you know everything is so expensive you know your your lumber has gone up you know oh yeah uh, you know, you go to Home Depot, anything that you had bought for $10, now it is 12, 13, $15, at least 20, 30%. You know, I went there to see the kitchen, granite, you know, I said, let me figure it out. The, the granite, which I used to buy at 39 cents per square feet, now it's 49 cents per square, not cents, $14 per square feet. Yeah. So, yeah. so every, everything is 20, 30% higher. So, uh, and it does not construction, it is labor, it is consumer goods, it is medicine, everything. But your salaries have not gone up. The money that you are making in your life has not gone up. So what, what is the impact of that is the impact of that is your saving capacity has gone down. Yeah. So so the question here really is right. We all feel that everything got so expensive, but yes, yet the official inflation rate is still below two percent. <laughs> so that's the that's the crazy part, how they are somehow able to come up with a number that we certainly do not feel is is the accurate number. Now, when you talk about lumber, obviously that's one of these other crazy things that impact uh, uh, rehab, but it also impacts ground-up construction, particularly in the south, where everything is is done with uh, with with lumber. Uh, the interesting element there is uh, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that the the mills make a fortune, right? They are really benefiting from it, but the actual uh, prices for the for for the trees have gone down. They are at the lowest level inflation adjusted over the last 50 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, they have, they have raised their, uh, their, their, the cost is, cost is lower and, you know, the prices are higher. So who's making money? Yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these mills are making money, right? I mean, That's exactly they're just, right. they're just, you know, that's their time to make money basically in the, you yeah. know. Yeah. So. yeah. So talking about uh, so, some niches that uh, obviously we have talked about uh, multifamily being really overheated uh, in, in, in to the large extent, uh, unless you find a niche and uh, mobile home park, we see the same uh, 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 storage, we see the same thing. 
uh, you you have uh, in have been investing in assisted living, and that's uh, pretty close to my heart because our family is also active in in that in, in that space. So, can you tell us a little bit what your experience ha- has been there, and also particularly what I'm interested in because you invested in California, which is not necessarily the first place you would would invest in even in assisted living. So, why did you make that decision, and how did that all work out? And where do you see the challenges? Yeah, see, the biggest challenge in assisted living is, um, you know, of course, California is not the best best market to invest in assisted living because of the regulations, not because of anything else. California has huge, huge, huge regulations. We end up spending a lot of time meeting the demand. You know, we, we have almost like one guy always working on filling up the paper like 24 by 7 for making sure, you know, we are complying to those regulations. So California is not definitely the best market. However, you know, in six bed facilities, I still feel that we are we can make money uh, in terms of higher cap rate. Although your project size is smaller, if we can buy multiple six beds closer to each other, three, six, nine, 12, then possibly we can make money uh, up to you know 10 15% cap the challenge that we have is the lending you know it's, it's very difficult to find a lender who lends it very very difficult you know uh, it's just almost impossible you know unless you really find a lender who can lend you um, on just the property and then you put in the money to 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 establish a business there if you can do that you can make good money there if you're if you're buying an existing home with the business in it, you'll have a tough time finding a lender because that's not a residential home anymore, and you are gonna use it for the business purposes. And there's no commercial lender who's giving you the money on the residential. You'll go to the SBA, and SBA has huge huge amount of um, guidelines. You know, spoke me uh, into this space. So, to me, to me. California, lender, and what are you buying? Are you buying a home or are you buying, I mean, if you are buying a single family home on a personal loan on, on your W-2, I mean, on your debt, basically debt to income ratio go, goes down every time you buy, how many of them can you buy? And can you put them into, into an LLC? Because some lenders don't allow you to do that. So that's a challenge. So there are, there are challenges. It's a, this space is filled with challenges. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Very, very good point there, right? And uh, uh, wanted to to touch on on that financing piece, right? We have had that discussion many times about uh, financing, and specifically, right, for our listeners who may not be familiar with that, there are assisted living. You essentially have residential assisted living. What uh, Prashant was talking about, and then you have the large assisted living facilities that are more the institutional types. Now, for the institutional types, there is financing readily available even from yeah. the agencies, right, from large banks, from the agencies, and so on. Uh, what uh, Prashant has touched on is very specific to res- residential assisted living, where somehow 
at the SBA length, so that's the positive part, but you have a 5 million limit, right? Uh, that, so that is restrictive on one hand, apart from their regulations. Uh, the benefit is that the leverage is pretty good, right? It can go all the way up to 90% leverage. Uh, but the problem is that the same lender that would be happy to lend to you with an SBA guarantee wouldn't be willing to lend to you without that guarantee, even though the cash flow is actually much stronger for that business combined real estate and business than it would be for an equivalent multifamily property or single family property. But somehow in that uh, residential assisted living space, there are no lenders out there that are that offer any reasonable financing, right? So you you clearly touch on the point that is a is a main challenge there. I yeah. see it also as an advantage for someone who can overcome it with creative financing, and or also work work around all the regulations the SBA it, yeah. has. So yeah, creative financing is the way through which you can get into this business. You know. If, the, if you have creative financing, seller financing, you can get in. And once you establish yourself, then you can go to the lender and, and then ask for a commercial loan based on NOI of the asset. Uh, but California, trust me, that has taken the toll out of us. I do not know why we spent so much time trying to find the lender, but eventually we had, we had to go back to SBA to find, you know, we are still acquiring some more um, I don't know why we are acquiring it based on what I told you, but yeah. we are in that mode. We acquired few year and you know, 15 months ago, we are acquiring one or two more. Um, but it it was a tough thing. And you can do the same thing in other states also. I mean, I'm hearing like in Phoenix and all, there are some lenders who are willing to give you the money, uh, but not in California um, uh, for whatever reason. What I suggest, yeah. what I suggest, if you are in this business. I think the better way to go is to a bigger box facility where, you know, big box where you have lenders available, where, you know, that, that thing works. Yes, you would make less money, uh, but if you syndicate that full deal, you, you will end up making worthwhile for your time. Rather than finding the lenders and filling up their requirements, you do a ground up development, maybe 10, $20 million worth of asset. And, and then, uh, you know, you still create uh, value for your investors. You know, investors make good 10, 12% easily, you know, maybe more. And, and that time that you have spent is, is well utilized. Um, but the third challenge I would tell you in the small assisted living space is finding the labor. Because it's a 24-hour business and you have to have an operator who has good grasp on, on labor and who is, who is familiar with the labor laws of the state. Again, California is a, is a tough state. Uh, you have to have the right kind of labor. You know, be prepared that you will get sued by your employees, you know, recommend comps and things like that. I mean, I have met a lot of operators in other states who are doing weird things. Uh, I mean, that's not how we do the business. So we, we, we don't want to get into that too much more. There are a lot of people who are doing it um, you know, in Colorado, you know, you can find lenders, uh, but some places, you know, you cannot find lenders, you know, and, and yeah. the workforce basically. Yeah. So very good point. Workforce is only very challenging, right? Uh, 
it's uh, being a caregiver, uh, being paid $12, $13, $15 per hour is, is a thankless job. Right, so finding find the right staff obviously is a is is a challenge. Yeah. Right, so I think what you have highlighted here, this is a great niche for the right operator uh, that is willing to put a lot of time and energy up front into into that, and then the returns are essentially double uh, or even more than what multifamily can provide, but it, it takes a lot of effort to achieve that. And one more point I would say, if you are just an investor, if you are not an operator, you know, it's not worth your time. You know, finding there are no operators. There's no company who will give you, unless you become a partner with an operator, then operator is a partner in the business. You cannot just go hire an operator for your assisted living, smaller facility. It's not like big facility where they are property operating companies who will, will give them the whole thing. Uh, so there's nothing called assisted living operating company in the residential space. Yeah, so, that do, so, do a decent job for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it has, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about the decent job. I mean, you may find somebody, but right. you know, you'll end up losing your shirts easily. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Yeah, so all, all great points. Obviously, we veered uh, away a little bit from the from the typical topic, but I think uh, our listeners uh, appreciate that uh, additional insight you have there. And anyone who who uh, thinks uh, to to jump into assisted living, residential assisted living, uh, don't be scared, but recognize that it's uh, there are a lot of challenges that are there. Uh, so yes, the returns all look very good, but it also takes a lot of effort to get to those returns. Uh, yeah, and there, there are a lot of gurus who are selling the dreams. You know, I would say that guys, just be careful. You know, yeah. it, it is so easy to sell the dreams, but it's so so difficult to operate a business. And I'm willing to talk one on one with anybody. Um, I kind of bring them up to the speed. And I have resources. You know, in other states, I have resources. You know, Colorado, Phoenix. Uh, I mean, I can hook you up with the right people uh, uh, if you wish to start something in those states. I'm not, I don't, I mean, the other states also, of course, we have those homes uh, and I'm building my network. Uh, anything I can help, I, I would love to help. Yeah, very good. Appreciate it. So uh, uh, you mentioned that you're willing to help. So uh, uh, as always, right, uh, it's important that our listeners have have the ability to reach out to you uh, for f- hopefully not just asking for your help, but also if you have a deal that uh, you you meet some new prospective investors, right? Yeah. So how can how can our listeners uh, reach you? See, I have created a website where um, you know just for my my friends, you know, and and you know where I educate my investors through my portal, myrealtygains.com. Um, you know they are. Please subscribe to a seven-day email course, you know, which tells you the benefits of passive investing. You know, it's all free and, you know, you can join a passionate passive investors club. Um, it's more education. And you want to talk to me, there is a link there to set up some time on my calendar. Uh, my email is prashant at myrealtygains.com. Uh, so there are many, many ways nowadays to re- connect with anybody. But Prashant at myrealtygains.com, that's a simple thing. You know, drop me an email. I would love to talk to you.
Very good. Really appreciate it. Uh, able to have a last uh, uh, last uh, comment or statement before yeah. we say <laughs> goodbye to Prashant. No, just I, I appreciate your hearing your insight and hearing your uh, your take on on the market as as also your your different uh, your assets that you have that you manage. It's always really cool to to you know hang out with you for a few minutes, Prashant. So we're honored, grateful, appreciative, humble. Thank you very much. Yeah, Hi. thanks. No, thanks I mean, again, Prashant. Honor is all honor. You know, is all mine. You know that you have taken time to talk to me. You know, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Peak Market Watch. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on the latest episodes. If you're interested in receiving a free commercial real estate loan quote for your property, click the link in the description. We look forward to connecting with you on our next episode of Peak Market Watch.